Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia. Ben Olson. Ben, it's really weird looking at your face while we're doing the podcast. Yeah, it is. I might have to cover you up with the show notes or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this is an experiment. We're recording our Zoom video and we're, we normally have the cameras off, but we're going to try to put out some uh, video content of us making the sausage. Um, today on the show, we have some reports from the May LSAT Flex. I just see here a subject line that says, I hate Proctor U. So we did uh, hear some horror stories from the rollout of the LSAT Flex, kind of predictably. Um, we also have a, an international LSAT Flex snafu email to look at. Okay. We have a question about rule substitution questions in the logic games. We've definitely talked about this before, but I wonder what you're thinking about this issue these days. I have a question from an LSAT tutor who wants to know how to deal with lazy students, Ben. Wow. So okay. We can give we can give some advice for this uh, young LSAT tutor on how to <laughs> whip them into shape. Sure. And uh, we also have a question from a listener about retaining information in Reading Comp. Upcoming events Thursday, the twenty eighth of May, is the registration deadline for the July LSAT. We still don't know whether that will be flex or in person, but you might as well just go ahead and register. Friday, June 5th, then, oh, that's when the May LSAT flex scores are supposed to come out, tentative. We have uh, Sunday, June 14th is the start of the June LSAT flex testing week. Those scores are supposed to come out two weeks later on Tuesday, the 30th. And then Monday, uh, July 13th is the scheduled date for the July LSAT. Again, we have no idea whether that will transition to flex or whether they'll be doing it actually in person. One thing, Ben, Hmm. this time of year, I've noticed that I'm pushing people to register for July. Have you found yourself doing that? It's like, it's the time of the cycle where if you haven't taken the LSAT before, and if you're trying to go to law school in 2021, there's a lot of incentive right now for people to get on the grind and register for July and August because those are really the last two tests that are going to allow you to still apply at the beginning of the next cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you have time, right? It's May, you have May, June, a little bit of July. It's not unreasonable to put in the hours and hopefully get a good score by July and at least by August. Most people are still semi quarantined. If this was your summer break from college or whatever, I mean, yeah, no time like the present. Yeah, If you're stuck at home anyway, you might as well just get cracking on your LSAT prep. And yeah, a lot of incentive to uh, take a shot, a first shot at that July LSAT, if you can get ready. You know? If you can get ready. Not, yep. Don't take the test if you're 15 points away from your goal, but if you're <laughs> but within striking distance. But they said I had to take July. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're within striking distance, which let's say five points, you know, it, the upside is really all that matters. So if you can get your averages close to, I don't know, single digits, five points away from whatever you think score you need, mm-hmm. then it becomes really worth it to take the to take the official test because really the, the good ones is the only thing that matters at that point. Yeah. And if you don't take July, well, now you're taking August and the, those scores come out in September. And so that's kind of the latest that ideally you would be taking it. Mm-hmm. And you'd rather have multiple shots at it, not just one. 
Totally. You can always email the show if you want to get yourself on the agenda. That's help at thinkinglsat.com. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. I think that's still probably the most important channel for the podcast is uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever they want to call it. So hit the five stars, write a few words about the show. It really helps to uh, spread the word. Hey, quick comment about the schedules. Yeah. So we were talking about the June LSAT Flex dates, which are... Um, the Allegedly the week of June 14th. Yeah. Middle of June. Yeah. Middle of June. Matt D and I were just talking yesterday because we had laid out the schedule, right, for the demon, like the test schedule. And yep. we had included test 90 in that oh. schedule. And Matt D astutely pointed out, he's like, hey, we're not going to have test 90 because the June LSAT was supposed to be a disclosed test. It was supposed to be test 90. And now it's LSAT Flex, which is not going to be disclosed. It's not a new test. Uh, so the next disclosed test is not until August, which means now August is going to be test 90 if you know it doesn't turn into something else. Got it. So we don't have yeah. new, new tests coming out for a little while. Anyways, just to heads That's up okay. on that. We're still getting caught up on all the explanations for all the older tests. That's true, but it's fun. We you are know, it's fun to get a, out, a new test and just be like, "Oh, what's what's up? Let's take it." But yeah, I love seeing the new the new logic games. Particularly, it's fun. So okay, so we're gonna have to wait until fall for that. Yeah, if That's that happens, good. I was you know I'm kind of wondering maybe we won't have one for a while. Maybe not this year. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the flex. Well, speaking of the flex, uh, here's an email from. Marty Bird. You want to read it? Marty Bird? Isn't that the dude in Ozark? Yes. Okay. I just finished the LSAT Flex, and you know what I really, truly thought it would... I thought it would be okay. Wait, what? And you know what I really, truly thought it would be okay? (laughs) He's trying to say, and you know what? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm just reading right through that. There's no comma there, but there's commas later. (laughs) I thought it would be okay. I had a good proctor, got in pretty quick, had my scratch paper approved... (laughs) <laughs> I didn't realize that was part of the process and thought it would be a breeze. Well, the the biggest horror stories that I've heard so far, sorry to interrupt you, but Go the ahead, biggest horror yeah. stories that I've heard so far are uh, Proctor U Proctors not letting people use the scratch paper. Wow. So what? The yeah. scrap, scratch paper had too much... Uh... No, Proctor U Proctors who were improperly trained and didn't they thought that scratch paper was not allowed. Okay. So they were like fighting with the students, like, "No, you're not allowed to use the scratch scratch paper oh, at all." Not at all. Oh, and then wow, students that'd be are tough like, "With the games, oh, yeah. it'd be impossible." Yeah. So this, or, or not, that's not the way anyone has prepped for it. So, <laughs> that, I mean, boy, that would be tough. I yeah. don't know how I would do it if I yeah. had to do it with no scratch paper. I guess I could carve the diagrams in blood in my on my skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, or just use a pen and write on my skin. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. The uh, Eric sent out, you know, Eric uh, K from mm-hmm. LSAC mm-hmm. sent out an update yesterday. Of course, they always, you know, they they put the uh, they put the best spin they possibly can on it at mm-hmm. all times. Let me see. I, I've got it. I've got this email right here. Okay. Um, as you know, well, and then we'll go back to uh, Marty Bird's email. But sure. this is like the, you know, getting out in front of it. Here comes LSAC. Um, as you know, Monday, May 18th, we began administering the LSAT Flex, the new online remotely proctored law school admission test. It was designed to address the needs of candidates and schools during this challenging time when the COVID-19 crisis made in-person testing impossible. 
I wanted to give you a quick update on how testing has gone. Overall, we are expecting that nearly all of the approximately 10,000 candidates who registered for the May LSAT Flex will complete the test this week. Most of the test takers took the test on Monday and Tuesday. And of those who started the test, roughly 99% successfully completed it. Of course, you just do the quick math on that and you say, okay, so you mean 1% of them did not complete it. So you had basically 100 people who weren't able to take it. Yeah. We still have a small number of candidates taking the test through Friday. But at this point, the vast majority of May test takers have successfully completed the process. While this first online test was successful for most test takers, we recognize that a small percentage of candidates were unable to complete the test due to problems with their internet connection, their computers, or other factors. Mm. <laughs> the other factors, by the way, are LSAC or ProctorU. Yeah. Any candidate who was unable to complete the May test will be automatically registered for the June LSAT Flex or a future test of their choosing at no additional cost. Blah, 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 expanding diversity and opportunity and resources. They shipped close to 200 loaner computers to test takers all across the U.S. and Canada. And we also provided nearly 100 test takers with room vouchers to test at a hotel in their area with secure Internet access. We will be providing these same kinds of support to test takers for the June LSAT Flex. That's kind of wild. Yeah. So if you don't have a reliable internet connection at home and you want to take the flex, mm -hmm. you can now tell LSAC, yeah, my computer sucks. I don't have good internet at home. And what they're saying is they will send you a computer and a hotel room voucher so that you can go take the test on a computer at, with, at a place with a secure internet connection. Wow. Now, they're going to have to do some checking there. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do to means test that or whatever, but. They can't okay. be just giving that away to everybody, right? Um, anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. They did it. Yes, they created this really quickly. And then, oh, yeah, so here's some of the examples. We're also permitting test takers who feel their performance was adversely affected by technical or proctoring issues to cancel their May score by the score cancellation deadline and take the June LSAT flex for free if they wish. That's important news. If you took the flex... Hmm. And you think that your proctor or technical issues hurt your performance, mm -hmm. which, of course, they did. Yeah, everybody is going to assume that that's why they didn't do so well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you can cancel it by the score cancellation deadline and take the June LSAT flex for free. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wow. He kind of buried that in the middle of this email. <laughs> I don't think they're advertising <laughs> that, really. But then they want to be able so, to say that they offered that, but not necessarily for, promote it. For example, yeah. Early Monday, we learned that a few of the remote proctors were not allowing test takers to use scratch paper, a few. even though scratch yeah. paper was expressly allowed. We quickly quickly worked with our remote proctoring vendor to ensure all proctors understood scratch paper was allowed. Wow. While many test takers Monday morning reported a very smooth experience, many, Ben, many, mm -hmm. on the LSAT means some, yep. we began to see increased wait times for candidate check-in as and testing as the day progressed. I, I heard of somebody, one of our former students, Ben, who was at the New York class, said mm. she waited for four hours and was not able to take the test. Wow. Really? Yes. Wow. 
Wait, yes. wait. So for the there's like a check-in process, I guess, and that just never happened. You got to wait for your live proctor, and then the live proctor has to like you know virtually walk around the room with you and mm. something. The people in class the other night on the demon, yeah, were talking about they were able to use a small hand mirror in order to show the proctor the room because if oh. the proctor wasn't happy with the layout for whatever reason and you know made them get a mirror and show, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, it's someone weird. hiding behind that couch. <laughs> I still think, but is Ben Olsen <laughs> under your desk? <laughs> going to give you the... <laughs> just pop out. It's B. It's B, damn it. <laughs> Do what I said. Um, so increased wait times for candidate check-in as the day progressed. We immediately worked with Proctor U to have them call in additional staff Monday afternoon. Proctor U maintained the higher staffing level Tuesday, and we saw very low average wait times of five minutes or less throughout the day. Proctor U will have these higher staffing levels for us going forward. I'm confused also, as to why they had a staffing issue. I mean, didn't they know exactly how many people were going to be taking well, it? Well, it's like when they had the shipping issue with their tablets, that they were, yeah. when they were shipping tablets all across the country. And it's like, oh, boy, we, yeah, we had shipping problems. It's like, you didn't think about that when you were buying the 10,000 Samsung tablets? Yeah. Or whatever they are. Um, we also received scattered reports of proctoring activity that test takers felt was distracting or may have affected their performance. Hmm. We will be working to understand these, to address them as appropriate, and to prevent any similar issues in the June LSAT flex. As you might expect, demand for remotely proctored services has escalated dramatically during this crisis, and so Proctor U and other vendors have had to scale up quickly in hiring and training staff. Mm. I, I certainly get it. This is a yeah. pretty big challenge that they yeah. have to... 10,000 people is a lot of people, too. I give them credit for that. Yeah. We have provided online testing, Ben, as an emergency option for candidates as part of our mission to help individuals pursue their goal of legal education which will be more important than ever in building a more just and prosperous world. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, gosh, <laughs> they, they had to use the word justice. Eric. <laughs> but they, they threw in prosperous too. So it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a red state or blue state. We're throwing in justice. For the and, blue state folks, oh, yeah. uh, we're also throwing in prosperity, prosperity for yeah. the Trumpians. Like, don't worry, we're gonna. We're you know. we're here for everybody. We're here for yep. everybody. Totally, huh? Totally. Um, <clears throat> we appreciate the support of the entire legal community, which has rallied around the candidates and supported the LSAT flex. We will continue to do everything we can to ensure that everyone who wants to pursue legal education is able to do so. Mm, that's their motive, as opposed to we are hurrying to ensure that there will be enough enough clients for our clients. Well, this because I mean this cycle has to be devastating, right? I think yeah. the schools have to be getting screwed. Who would possibly? Why wouldn't you just take a year off if you're if you're planning to start law school this fall, and the schools aren't even telling you whether there's going to be in person classes or not? I just, it, it just, like, people are talking about moving across the country to, or, you know, at least moving in their state or embarking upon this whole new thing where they're supposed to be meeting all these new people. And I mean, as much as I believe that online education is probably better, I just don't think that that's what people going to law school are really looking for. Yeah. 
you know, so I, I've already heard tons of people who have, I mean, full ride scholarships and they're just like, nope, not this cycle, not yeah. doing it. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. So there, there's gotta be, there, I would imagine there's like two L's and three L's dropping out or taking a, you know, hiatus. There's gotta be all kinds of that stuff happening. Yeah. Cause why not? But, why not? Anyway, okay, so that's Eric's email from the official from the LSAC. Uh, do you want to? Sorry for the long hijacking. Of no, your no, email. that's okay. So the point was that some of the proctors were preventing people from having scrap paper. <laughs> yes. Oh, by the way, do you know the difference between scrap and scratch? No, but I would never, ever in a million years say scrap paper like you just did. I would always say scratch paper. So I think scratch paper is more of an East Coast thing and scrap paper is more of a West Coast thing, even though I know you're on the West Coast. Um, okay. Write into the show and tell us which <laughs> one you use and where you're from. Also, do you say up shit creek or up shits creek? Oh. We need to know that too. I thought it's it shits. Is it? What do you say? Uh, it's not a phrase I use a lot, but I would definitely say shit creek, not shits creek. Oh well, there we go. Even now though there's two the show Shit's Creek that's just on, but maybe that's if I was going to say you're me. <laughs> up up a creek. I would say you're up Shit Creek. Up Shit but, Creek, huh? Yeah. See that. What about the possessive? Okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> you want to so, continue yeah. with Marty? Yeah, Bird? Marty continues. No, for whatever reason, the proctor accidentally disconnected my video. <laughs> okay, and the system kicked me out of the test. However. The timer kept running, so when I got back in, I lost five minutes. I asked if I could restart, and she said, no, just do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Madam, you have obviously never taken this test because five minutes is an eternity for this section, exclamation point, says Marty. I started crying. Oh, okay. I started crying, and she said, please stop crying. You can't make any noise while taking the exam. Oh, aren't you taking <laughs> the exam by yourself? That's pretty hilarious. Like you're not allowed. I'm sorry. No weeping. You can silently weep, but you're not allowed to weep out loud. Keep your crying to yourself. I couldn't yeah. focus the rest of the test. I didn't finish any of the other sections either. Hmm. There goes the last nine months of my life. Whoa. Oh boy. You can take it again. I was I wasted studying for this test as well as my hopes of getting off of the wait list for my number one school. Oh, okay, so you've already applied and you were hoping that this could help in the last minute. I mean, that's kind of a problem too. You're showing up late, so. Yeah, your whole plan here sucks. I mean, that's not really <laughs> you. Nathan, don't make Marty cry more. But well, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree here. I bombed that section in the whole test probably and therefore won't get into the school of my dreams also got in trouble for crying. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that is kind of funny, but this this one thing is not the reason you're not going to get into the school of your dreams. You you needed to be applying next cycle anyway. So, get back on the horse. Yep. I'm sorry if this seems whiny or entitled. I just wanted to rant. That's okay. Anyway, everyone can rant. Follow up. I called LSAC and spoke to a very nice representative. She was super helpful and said that so many people have had complaints. Hmm. So many people, as opposed <laughs> yeah. to just men, a few. Anyways, she said that there are so many complaints that they're actually just taking them in writing now. So she asked me to submit the situation to their email, and they're trying to work out a solution for everyone. 
Uh, I saw on social media that someone started a petition to LSAC to allow candidates to view LSAC's flex scores before canceling. <laughs> yeah, well, you set the precedent with the July 2019 LSAT. Why not ask for this feature now? Okay. Thanks, Marty. Bird. Yeah, I mean, I certainly heard of people who took it successfully, but I did hear the people who have problems, of course, are a lot more vocal than the people who don't have problems. So, um, but we've we've heard we've heard quite a few of them. Um, international LSAT Flex Snafu. Okay. Hi, Ben, Nathan, and Annalisa. I got an email this morning from LSAC telling me to register for the June LSAT Flex. I registered for the June 28th test in Tokyo after the March test was canceled. I received a username and password for ProctorU and was told that once I registered the account, I could select a time for my test. I registered. I did my computer system check. I spent some time with ProctorU's IT help desk. Then, to my surprise, I couldn't register. I fired off an email to LSAC. As soon as I sent it, my inbox updated with a new email from LSAC. It said they had made a mistake and that I was not able to take the LSAT flex on June 14, 15 because it was only for North American test takers. Hmm. It said to hold tight for more info on the international test. I hadn't been expecting to be able to take the LSAT flex because they wouldn't let me take the one from April. This email just built my hopes up, though, just to squash them once more. I don't understand why international test takers can't just have the option to take the June LSAT flex. We've been speculating about this on the show before, Ben. Have you had any more thoughts about why they wouldn't let international people take the flex? I don't get it. I mean, what was our speculation? That they're more likely to cheat, which doesn't make sense. I don't know. By the way, thank you for switching me to stimulus first on the logical reasoning. I had always done STEM first because that's how I was originally taught. I have a 169 on record, and all my PTs were in the low 170s with a few mid-170s. I was hoping for a 172 in March to be over the 75th percentile at schools like Northwestern and UVA. When I found your podcast, I felt I was too close to the test to switch my attack method. Then the March test got canceled, so I decided to try it. I did a few untimed sections just to get used to the process of reading for understanding, being critical and predicting without getting into the question itself or the answers. Then I started taking timed PTs and sections again. Wow! Exclamation point. My last full-time PTs were 177, 179, and 175. And my most recent individual timed LR sections were minus 1, minus 0, minus 0, minus 1. Before switching methods, I was getting two or three wrong per section while sometimes not getting to the last question. Now, thanks to predicting answers better, I am finishing on time every time, and my accuracy has gone up. Switching to stimulus first felt like hitting a NAS switch in a street race. I'm no longer aiming for a 172. It's 175 or bust, thanks to your advice. Thanks for all you do, Nate. And then there's some kanji there, Ben. Can you read it? Yeah, so actually this is uh, hiragana, which is nice, because I oh. would not know how to... Kanji is like the more convoluted, like it almost looks like a picture, right? This oh. is closer to their alphabet. But thankfully, I can read these things. I can't read kanji very well. Oh. This says, arigato gozaimasu. You know what that <laughs> means, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Very yep. much. Okay. Um, yeah, Nate. Stimulus first is just obviously better. I. It's it's amazing that he's saying like I go faster like this. Mm-hmm. Well, of course you go faster because if you read the stem first, then you always read the stem, then the stimulus, then the stem again. Mm-hmm. So you're just making a long test even longer by that. 
it's I this is just a clear we've been yelling about this for six seven years on the podcast now but it's it's I've never heard any reason why reading the question stem makes any sense yeah I'm always reading the argument and predicting the answer I mean as much as reading the question stem twice does slow you down I I don't think that's the biggest reason not to do it though I think the biggest reason is to not get distracted yeah, it also confuses you while you're actually reading the argument. Yeah. This is just bad times. Just read the argument as if you're attacking it. Always be attacking the argument. Mm-hmm. That's all we got to do. Read all the arguments the same on the LSAT. Then figure out what type of a question they want to ask you about the argument. Okay. Cool. Um, Rule substitution. Yeah. Yep. You ready? Yeah. Hey, guys. Huge fan of the podcast. I listen to you guys every week as I prepare to take the LSAT Flex in June and then apply to law school in the fall. Good plan. On the logic games, I get a majority of the questions correct. I get a majority. That's not necessarily... Okay, hopefully you're... <laughs> getting, it needs hopefully to be the vast all. majority. Yeah, the yeah. vast majority are all of the questions correct that you attempt. Anyways, I'd love yeah. some clarification on that. And have become pretty good at them and actually enjoy doing them. Good. But yeah. I struggle with the questions that you ask about, subs- that ask you about substituting rules. Yep. For example, which one of the following, if substituted for, the cons- for constraint number two, would have the same effect in determining the order, yada, yada, yada. Every time I see this type of question, I roll my eyes. I can't seem to figure them out. Help. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I have some advice here. You, you want to start? I think we argued about this on like actually episode one of the show. I think that this was a, an issue that we've been talking about since the very beginning. Yeah, I do seem to remember that. But wait, what were we arguing about? Well, I and and I think I've come even more around to this opinion. Okay, mm-hmm. feel free to argue. Sure, to talk me out of it. But for for students like Aaron, she's she's still just getting to the point where she's realizing that these games can be easy and f- or fun. You know, like she can do them right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she's still clearly not expert by any means and she's my guess would be she's getting two or three games yeah in 35 minutes yeah and she can take a lot of stress out of her life if she just skips every rule substitution question it's the only question on the whole test that i ever recommend anybody skip Mm mm-hmm but if you just notice, it's it's always the last question in the game. You can identify it. I mean, if it's if it's there, it's the last question. It's never been the third question in the game. It's always the yep. last question in the game. If it's there, you recognize it in one second. You randomly guess, and you just calmly move on to the next game, and you potentially get that whole game in the time that you were going to grind out this rule substitution question. And for someone like Aaron, for novices, they end up spending a lot of time on it and missing it anyway. I agree. Yeah. So I'm, that's not my advice for experts, and it might not even be my permanent advice for Aaron. But my advice for you today, if these rule substitution questions are really hard for you, 
they and they do when they're hard they tend to be like twice as hard as the other ones in the section Mm -hmm. i think the easy ones are easy but the hard ones are hard and so you could just take the average of that and just look at it and go nah i'll come back to it if i finish all four games i'll put d maybe i'll get it right one out of five times and I'll just move on, like live to fight another day sort of a thing. So that's my argument for skipping rule substitution questions if you're a novice or intermediate even at the Logic Games. Yeah, let me add to that. I would say that, one, I agree with it. Two, when people ask me about this question type, my first question is, are you finishing? And if they're not finishing the section, then I'd rather them do one more question near the end of the section of games, then do that substitution question for the same reason, right? Because they're going to spend a lot of time on it and they're probably going to get it wrong anyway. So they might as well have saved that time and do one more, probably two or three more Even if there's only questions later. two or three minutes left, you could still probably do the list question on the next game. Yep, 100%. Right? So it's just like, yeah, maybe two questions in the next game is better than one question in this game. Yeah, I okay, agree. So you are saying to skip those. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I'm, maybe we disagreed on that. I don't. I don't remember. Why has yeah, changed well, since then? I mean, because the other thing is, we can certainly help you learn how to do them. And if you're going to score perfectly on the games, then you do need to know how to do them. We've seen tests where there's two of these rule substitution questions in the same section, and so if you're the type of person who's shooting for a score in the 170s, like you've probably got to be able to wrap your head around the rule substitution questions. But if you're trying to score 165. You don't need to do a rule substitution question ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, okay. and the better you get at the section, the more, you know, even if you skipped it, like as you get closer and closer to finishing and finishing all, you know, getting all the questions that you do correct, uh, then, you know, if you skipped it, when you're reviewing the section, go back and do it before you look up the yeah. answer. A compromise solution also is to skim it, like half-ass it. We, we don't ever tell you to skim or half-ass questions, except for in this one case. If you were going to skip it anyway, it might be worth skimming the answer choices and just w- w- the right answer sometimes will just jump off the page at you. If the question turns out to be really easy, the correct answer might be an inference that you had made at the top of the game anyway. Mm-hmm. Or you might just be able to recognize because of your understanding of the rest of the system, you might be able to recognize that like, Hey, yeah, this will have exactly the same effect. This isn't going to do anything new and it will replicate the effect of the old rule. So sure. Uh, that's the answer. So like a, like you could just kind of spend 15 seconds and like read through the answer choices one time and just take, go with your gut and then move on. Right. It's like a half skip. The one thing I don't want you to do is to spend, I never want you to spend five minutes on it, no matter what. Like even if you get it right, that's not good. So either if you're good enough at them that you know you can do it in a reasonable amount of time, then by all means do it. But if you, uh, if they're intimidate, super intimidating to you, if you're still working your way toward three or four perfect games, then it seems like a fairly no-brainer skip and just do the next game behind it. Yeah. Literally the only time I tell people to skip. I just don't. I'm never telling people to skip questions. Yeah. So in terms of a strategy, once you do start tackling these questions, whether it's during the section or just after the section when you're reviewing, I tend to find it easier to explain these questions in terms of why the wrong answers are wrong yep. 
they tend to be wrong because they impose a constraint on the game that wasn't there before. So if an answer That's doing choice, more than the old rule. Doing more than the old rule. And really just, if you look at the answer choice and it forces something to happen that didn't have to happen before, if it says the F is last, for example, and you're like, wait, I, I saw a scenario where F was second. Well, right away, you know that answer choice is wrong because not everything is exactly the same in the game as it was before. So answers can be wrong because they go too far. They impose a constraint on the game that wasn't there before, or they can be too weak. In other words, it's like it says something like, oh, F has to be anywhere from one to five. And you're like, well, okay, it's not going too far, but it's not going far enough. If F can go from anywhere from one to five, maybe it could go second, and that wasn't possible before, but now it is. So that answer choice is too weak. Or sometimes answer choices can do both things at the same time. They can be too strong or too weak, but it actually doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is if you look at an answer choice and it is either too strong or too weak, whatever you see first, it's gone. It's out. And sometimes that's how I end up approaching these. And then sometimes you see the answer and you're like, oh yeah, that's a good replacement. And then you pick it. But a lot of times I'm eliminating the wrong ones just because they seem too constraining or they seem too, you know, open-ended. Yeah. To prove that the right answer is right or to prove that the four answers are wrong. It's a two part process of elimination. Anything that does more than the old rule is out. Anything more restrictive than the old rule is out or anything that does less than the old rule is out. Anything that's less restrictive than the old rule is well, one, out. One thing I want to clarify is you're talking about the old rule. I would just think about it as the, in the, as the game as a whole because they do have sometimes where like their answer is stricter than the old rule, but it's okay because it just overlaps with like another rule, right? Yeah, what I mean is it doesn't actually restrict that. It doesn't restrict anybody in a way that they weren't already restricted. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the rule we could be substituting for, let's say it's L before F. Mm-hmm. And there might be other rules in the game that make it so that F is always in the last two spots. Yeah. If a new rule comes in and it says L has to be in the last two spots, that doesn't do more than the old rule because it was already the case that for whatever reasons with the other rules, F already had to be in the last two spots. So it, so L before F, if you just said F has to be in the last two spots, well, it already had to be in the last two spots because of other reasons. So that doesn't do more than L before F. But mm-hmm. then the next step is, okay, does it keep L before F? If you put F in the last two spots, uh, maybe I could put it in the second to the last spot and put L last. So maybe that does less than the old rule. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The flip side of that would be a rule that just said, F must be last. Mm-hmm. If we had a new rule that said F must be last, then it does keep L before F. So it doesn't do less than the old rule. Yeah. But F didn't previously have to be last. F could have been in the last two spots. So the new rule F last is creating a new restriction on the rule. So it's eliminated for that reason. But it's just, you know, even the amount of time that it takes to explain how to do these questions. When I'm talking to beginning students or when I'm talking to intermediate students, it's like, you know what? You got 
so much lower hanging fruit to worry about, including the whole game three or the whole game four. Mm-hmm. It's much better to work on trying to solve the whole system and get five points than it is to spend forever working on this one question that's much more, you know, it's just more challenging and it's still only worth one point. So you have full permission from me to just skip rule substitution questions until you're already getting 20 points on the section, in which case, okay, now we got to talk about the high hanging fruit high hanging fruit it's high hanging <laughs> okay yeah um all right thank you aaron for your question about the rule substitution questions cool dealing with lazy students <laughs> hey nathan and ben i've been working on the weekends as an lsat tutor for a small company it's been a fun way to save money for law school the problem is that i get lazy students I ask that they do a 35-minute section a day along with 25 minutes of review. Most students seem to follow the regimen, but sometimes I get a lazy student who will only do one or two sections a week. I feel like I am stealing their money by allowing them to apply for law school with the low scores they receive. I know they're adults and can make their own decisions, but watching them make these bad choices has got me rethinking this job. How do you two handle these issues? Darius. Uh, I want to step back for a half second. You said most students seem to follow the regimen, but sometimes I get lazy, a lazy student who will only do one or two sections a week. Yeah. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. They might be lazy, but some people are just busy and I, I don't know. I, I feel like you're, you're jumping to the conclusion that they're lazy, that they can't do this because they don't want to. Whereas they might just need, to relook at their schedule and I don't know, um, maybe they need to do some drilling too between those sections. So you're, you're, what you're saying to Darius there is that Darius needs to realize that everybody's doing the best they can and that you don't know their circumstances. And so, you know, maybe cut them a little bit of slack, especially in these COVID times, which are or, sometimes yeah. a little harder to get things done. Or maybe, maybe it's not, I mean, Cutting them slack, it sounds like, too, that it could just be like, oh, you back off and you don't really do anything. Like, it sounds like there's a problem here. Like, maybe they need to be doing more. But just saying, oh, you're lazy isn't necessarily solving the problem. Like, I would get more information. Like, okay, when did you study? Like, sometimes I've sat down with people who are paying, you know, a lot of money per hour. And it's like, hey, what did you do this week? Oh, I did one section or two sections. And it's kind of like, okay, I start asking a lot of questions. Like, uh, when do you study? And then I find out that they're, you know, they, they have to get up early for work because they, they worked for like some high official in government and their day starts at five. And I'm like, oh, shit, like yeah, my day doesn't start at five. No. And, and, there's, and they say, well, I tried to get up before so I could study in the morning. I'm like, well, one, don't do that. I mean, that's just right. a disaster time to study. And then um, it's like, well, what happens when you get home? Well, I get home and I'm tired from work and I want to eat dinner and then I want to work out. And so and it's like, yeah, I, I kind of understand those things. We need to find a time where you have a window. And sometimes that's lunch and so, everybody's different. And I would work with them to find times where they can commit to 30 minutes or an hour of studying 
and say, okay, cool, let's, let's plan on that going forward. They may not be thinking through their day as effectively as they could be. Maybe you know about them and in this COVID time, they're just lazy. But even then, like scheduling a time, just ask, I guess my bottom line here is just ask more questions and try to figure out what they're doing and get your mind wrapped around their thought process and add your insights. And you might be able to turn some of these folks into, I bet they want to, they're paying you money. They may end up with a little tweak end up doing a lot. Remember that book, Nudge? Did you ever read that? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. Some, some, some of these things are actually really easy to solve. We just don't know what the real cause is. Yeah, when they're paying you for tutoring, they're paying you for instruction, but they're also paying you for motivation. And so you know, part of it is they're paying you so that they'll show up and do the work with you during that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe you just need to work with them to try to find ways that they can stay motivated during the week, even when they're not with you. Mm-hmm. If you feel guilty, like you're stealing their money by allowing them to apply for law school with the low scores they receive, I feel that a lot because I do not want to be part of a system that rips off people. You know, I just I think that there are far too many people going to law school who don't really have a likelihood of a positive outcome, you know, like a, like building an actual career in, in law. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the truth is that like half of the people who go to law school don't really end up with a lawyer job. Yeah. Yeah, And that's dramatically higher at lower rank schools. So if you're, if you're squeaking in to, you know, you're squeaking into Southwestern or you're squeaking into Golden Gate or well, even honestly, you're squeaking into Hastings with a 152 or whatever. The just the you're less than a 50 50 to have a successful legal career. And I, I would not be able to sleep at night if I thought I was helping people go a quarter of a million dollars in debt mm-hmm. when they're like a 50 50 bet not to ever practice law. Yeah. So the the way I've dealt with that is that I got a microphone and I never stopped talking about it. You know, like I'm just real honest. And if anybody ever asks, I'm real honest. Yeah. You know, like no one ever asks me, do I think they should go to law school? (laughs) That's no one, no one would ever, no one ever would say that. But if they did say that, I would be like, well, let's talk about where you're at with your LSAT prep. Let's talk about what kind of a lawyer you're going to be. Let's talk about what kind of a law school you're going to go to. Like, what do you want to do with this? And here, and then I would talk about the realities of, okay, to get that job that you think you want, here's what it would take to get that job. And if you, if you can do those things that to get that job, then great. Then yeah, you should. If that sounds good to you and if you think you can do all that stuff, then great. Yeah, do it. But most people are like, well, no, I mean, I wouldn't want to be that kind of a lawyer or I wouldn't want to be that kind of a lawyer. Or I wouldn't want to go to law school and then not use my degree. And it's like, (laughs) that's a possibility given where you're applying and the scores that you have. So yeah, if it's, if it's just a status thing and if your folks are paying for it and it's just like a, you know, of course I've always been going to go to grad school somewhere, so it might as well be law school and they're paying for it. Then fine. I don't care. But for the students who are paying in their, with their own money, then yeah, I can see how Darius would be feeling guilty, Mm -hmm. you know, like facilitating that sort of a thing. So I would just say, I feel like my job as a teacher is to be honest. Uh, That's, I feel like that's kind of all I have to do is just tell the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell so the Darius, truth as you see it. Right. Yeah. It's my, it's my, it's right. It's my opinion. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just saying 
if, if a student's going to trust me, then I have to, and, and they have to trust me in order for me to help them. Mm-hmm. I feel like the best way to build that trust is to just be real honest and open about everything. So yeah. Darius, when you're working with that student and it doesn't seem like they're doing the work, I mean, why not just ask them the question like, Hey, you know, you're kind of paying me a lot of money for this tutoring, but you don't seem to really be doing that much work when we're not together. Yeah. So is that a, you know, can we, why is that happening? And just, I don't know, just lay it on them. Yeah. If you lose a student, you know, if the student decides that they don't want to work with you anymore because you've told them the truth, then I don't know. You're probably going to be a happier tutor anyway without that student. There's plenty of tutors out there. They, <laughs> I'm not for everybody. They can go find some other tutor somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. I guess one other last bit of advice for Darius, and this was a an irony for me, um, is that when I started charging more money for tutoring, <laughs> the students got a lot more diligent. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've just noticed that people who pay more for tutoring are putting more into the time in between the sessions. And it's probably because they have all the advantages in the world. The fact that they can pay hundreds of dollars an hour for LSAT tutoring means that they have had some advantages in life, typically have resources, have good educations, have you know role models that have showed them what it takes to succeed in I mean, frequently lawyer parents. And then, you know, like when you start charging a shit ton of money for tutoring, then I'm amazed. I always, because I didn't come from money. I always thought that the people who would pay hundreds of dollars an hour would be like kind of douchey. But it turned out to be the exact opposite of that. I mean, I've just met such wonderful, they, they're so nice because they've, <laughs> everything has always gone well for them. Hmm. And they tend to be good people. They don't tend to be, you know, Trump. They tend to be, um, very hardworking, diligent, respectful, like they're on time. And, um, so I don't know, Darius, as you work your way up in the business, you, I think you'll find that the students are, you're going to, then you're going to get to a point where you're just amazed at how hard they work. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Anything else for Darius? No, good luck. Yeah. Thanks Darius. All right, next one. This is from Eden. It's on retaining information in reading comp. Hi, Nathan and Ben! Exclamation point. I recently started studying for the LSAT during the quarantine. LOL. Thought I might as well be productive with all the free time I have. Yep. I don't. I'm not sure why you're laughing about that. <laughs> I think that's like gallows humor. I think that's that's a little bit like laughing. Whistling past the graveyard. Okay. And the LSAT demon has been extremely helpful so far, exclamation point. Well, thanks, Eden. Glad to hear that. My worst section is reading comp, and I was wondering if you could give some tips on how to actively read the passages so that you retain all the important information, which makes the questions easier to tackle. Specifically, can you explain some tips on how to go about reading the passages on a laptop? Do you recommend highlighting or taking notes on a sheet of paper or both or neither? Any advice would be much appreciated. Exclamation point. Thanks. Exclamation point. Eden, I mean, I can give you some quick answers. Do you recommend highlighting? No. Do you recommend taking notes? No. So neither of those things. What I would recommend is 
reading each sentence and trying to see it in your mind and have an understanding of what it's saying. To me, translating sentences has two clear benefits. One is if you read a convoluted sentence on the LSAT, the very first one usually tends to be long and convoluted. You will, um, if you read it and you try to translate it into your own words into a sentence that makes sense to you, well, one, you obviously now understand it better than you did before, but two, that struggle is what helps you remember it. It's, it's, that, it's that process of reading and going, wait, what? Uh, oh, oh, this is what you're trying to say? And then trying to picture that to a point where you can understand it. To me, that's when I'm going through the questions, I'm like, oh, I remember that this was said. I don't know where it was said in the passage, but I know it was said because I remember thinking, huh, or what at that point. And so I would say that's your goal is to translate sentences as you tackle them. Yep. In my experience, people who uh, highlight and underline and that type of thing are frequently it interferes with your understanding. I think people do it as an excuse for not understanding sometimes. I think mm-hmm. people go like, oh, well, that phrase is clearly important. I don't really know why, but it's, it's you know, I, I didn't really under, I didn't catch all that. So let me highlight it. Or I didn't catch all that. So let me write it down. Yeah. Or, you know, this boy, I didn't get that quite. So that must be the main point <laughs> of the top of the, of the paragraph or whatever. And so then they write it down. So I've never taught any underlining, any highlighting, any diagramming, anything. And whether it's on paper or on the laptop shouldn't make any difference. What I really want you to do is just engage with the thought of the passage. I want you to, there's an idea there, man. They want something. Mm-hmm. And so you got to read that, that passage with a goal of, figuring out what they want. Um, Ben, you know, uh, Becca Butterfield, who's Mm -hmm. been working with us a little bit, um, in the behind the scenes on the demon. Yep. Becca sent me an email, uh, saying that she, let me see if I can find the first email. Yeah. So she says, I tell my eighth graders, she's a, she's a junior high teacher, Hmm. but she like teaches reading. And she said she was struck by how the way we teach people to read LSAT reading comprehension passages is very similar to how she teaches reading to her eighth graders. Mm. So this is what she says to her eighth graders. She tells them to predict, connect, and check understanding during reading. Mm. They should anticipate where the passage is going, connect what they're reading to prior knowledge or personal experience, and stop to summarize and recap what they've read to make sure they understood so for some of my students, especially like the really low level ones on reading comp, they benefit a lot from just hearing me read a passage to them. Mm-hmm. The higher level students are always like, oh my God, this is so boring. I don't want to hear you read me a passage. But the lower level students, they real when I stop after the first sentence, mm-hmm. you see what Becca's saying here? Connect what they're reading to prior knowledge or personal experience. That's exactly so, how you learn, by the way. So she's, what she's doing there is she's encouraging students to like, Hey, what did that just say? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that in mm-hmm. your prior knowledge or in your personal experience? Does that, does that, you think that's right? You think they're wrong? And then the other thing is the prediction. Like, why did they write that sentence? What do you think the next sentence is going to say? Mm-hmm. Where do you think they're going with this? Why did, what, what is the point of all this? And you should start making little predictions as you read 
right at the top, by the way. You don't have to wait for the first paragraph to be over. You can do that after the first sentence mm-hmm. and, and then revise it after the second sentence. There's nothing magical about the paragraph breaks. I mean, it almost seems like the paragraph breaks are thrown in there randomly in some cases. Yeah. They're not, this isn't a five paragraph essay that you're, Becca would probably send all of these essays back if she was grading them. You know, if, if the LSAT reading comprehension passages were submitted to her as an eighth grade teacher, she'd probably be like, hmm, where's your thesis sentence at the top? Like, you're not making your point very clearly. Yeah. But, but that's the point with the LSAT reading comp is that you're going to have to dig in there and really try to pull out the, like, what do they want? One way you can get there is by pre- making predictions every so often as you read and just engage with it like a human. Yeah. Use your knowledge, use your life, use your experience. I'm not saying put that into the passage as fact. I'm just saying compare what the passage is saying with what you understand about real life and try to make predictions about what you think is going to come next. But that's <laughs> compare that to highlighting mm-hmm. or underlining or even taking some stupid notes on the side. I mean, I'm hoping this is happening less now that the test is digital, but I know for sure when the test was paper-based and I'd come over to people and I'd see their passage and almost all of it or 80% of it was underlined, you know that's just a reflexive reaction. They're just underlining as they read, as like, what the heck is that doing? But even for people who only like judiciously, you know, highlight things or underline things, I still found that they were underlining them as they went. And I'm like, you don't know the significance of something until you have understood it and see how it relates to other things. So, uh, yeah, I'm just generally opposed to that. Yeah. Oh, I underlined that because it's the main point. Well, wait a minute. It's in the first paragraph. What do you mean it's the main point? You haven't read the whole passage yet. You have no idea where they're going to go with this. They frequently shift gears in the second half, and they'll say the exact opposite of what you expected them to say. They've been talking about this new innovation, and you're like, oh, you must be here to tell me that this is good. And then in the the third paragraph, it's like, unfortunately, and then it goes on with like all of the problems. And their main point at that, you know, there, the main point is this is bad and scary, and we got to do something about this. So the engagement is is everything. Um, making some predictions as you read, I think, is hugely helpful. Yeah, and to be to be clear, we're I'm totally cool. I think you are too, as well, Nathan. With someone thinking that's the main point, saying, "Hey, I think this is probably what they're trying to prove," and that's your prediction. That's your theory. Yeah, but you're open to it changing and whatnot. Well, we have to be evidence-based, right? So sure, you can make a prediction based on the evidence you have so far. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into the next paragraph and it shifts, you better catch that they have changed into something else. Like, oh, I thought they were going to say X, but it turns out they said not X. Yeah. And and either way, you've comprehended it. Mm. It's like making a bet on a game you don't give a shit about. Yeah. Right, making a prediction is like making a bet on some sports game. I don't care who wins, but uh, let me make a bet with a buddy on it. You know, while we're sitting here anyway, and now I've got a little bit of a rooting interest, and it helps me to pay attention at the end, whether my team won or lost. At least I know who won the game. And if I hadn't made that bet, I probably wouldn't have paid attention enough to even know who won the game. So, I guess that's maybe what the 
hopefully that can be somewhat helpful for people who are struggling with reading comprehension, but it's never, ever the case that it's like, Oh yeah, did you, you probably needed to highlight like you're, Oh, you didn't understand the passage. Oh yeah. You needed to underline. Why didn't you highlight that sentence? Like (laughs) no way. Never ever said that. Yeah. No way. Also, the worst tip I just have to debunk. I mean, we've heard the tip before of you should underline the topic sentence of each paragraph. If they exist. <laughs> right. The, the paragraphs generally don't have topic sentences. I mean, yeah. you'll be able to get the gist of what they're trying to say at some point, but it kind of emerges from all of the sentences and frequently it's one word that'll give you the author's attitude, not mm-hmm. like a whole sentence. It'll just be a little editorialization where they throw in there a, you know, unfortunately is a real yeah. good example where it's like, Ooh, shit. Whoa, this is unfortunate. Oh, okay. Um, why, you know, and you start expecting the evidence So they didn't really necessarily give you a full on topic sentence. They just threw in unfortunately, and then they gave you reasons why it's unfortunate. So I don't know that the underlining and highlighting, if you were ever going to underline or highlight anything, it would be that one word, right? It would be the, it would be the, the unfortunately yeah, where they're like normative or judgmental thing kicks in. Like that's the type of thing that we're looking for. Anyway, that's Eden. Um, anything else before we wrap up the show for today? That's it. Cool. Join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. If you're a Facebook sort of a person, we are at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and everywhere else. I am at N Fox on Twitter. You can look at Ben on Instagram if you want to see uh, his awesome <laughs> basketball report that he did when he was. How old were you, Ben, when you were doing the report on the history of basketball? Uh, how old was I biologically, or how old did I look? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Or Cal- well, anyways, yeah, I was 14. It was 1992, but as several people have commented, I look like I'm 10. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, so that's he's at Innovator Ben on uh, Instagram. If you want to go f- check him out over there and see his videos from when he was a kid, yeah. Uh, LSATdemon.com is where everyone should be doing all of their LSAT prep. Like literally, you don't need to go anywhere else just go to lsatdemon.com um thinking lsat.com does have the show notes and our subscription to our newsletter for the podcast and all that type of stuff that was episode 247 of the thinking lsat podcast thanks all y'all for listening nice knowing you don't pay for law school (laughs) 